But Hebrews chapter 8 is where we will be today. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. If you do not have a Bible, no worries. We will have it on the screen for you as well. Hebrews chapter 8. If you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. The word of God says this. Now the point and what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who was seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for the priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word today. Lord, as we read in Hebrews, the word that you have delivered to us by the Holy Spirit, we ask, Lord, that you would guide our understanding, that you would teach us your word Lord, you have given us the Holy Spirit to guide us and to instruct us, and it is in him that we ask today, Lord, that we would understand this text. Not only see it and understand it, but know how we can apply it to our lives today and worship you truly and rightly in light of it. We ask this in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen. You can all be seated. As we begin today, I would want to ask you to take a walk down memory lane with me. For most of us in here, we can recall when we were children uh, the, the glories of Christmas time, specifically of Christmas morning, the excitement of going and opening up the presents that are underneath the tree, the anticipation of what was going to be inside this bag or this box, and the excitement as a child to see the toy that you really wanted inside this box or this bag, the disappointment when you open one up and it's clothes or socks, things that you need but don't really want. And we could probably all remember when we were growing up that one toy that we really 
really wanted, but maybe never, never actually got. For me, that was many toys, but one in particular that as a child I really wanted, uh, but never did get, which is probably why I uh, have a, a special place for them now as an adult, uh, was Nerf guns. Specifically, not just the little single action, pull it back, shoot the Nerf gun, but the great big ones, you know? The ones that have like scopes and the round clip and like can shoot like 10 in a second, you know? Those great big, awesome Nerf guns. I always wanted one of those growing up for Christmas time. But for various reasons, namely the fact that they are the same price as a real gun, uh, never did happen. I never did get that great big Nerf gun. But if I had gotten that Nerf gun, I think that the disappointment probably would have, uh, would have set in anyway. Because for many of those Nerf guns, as I learned from my friends who had them, I would almost always go over to a friend's house and want to get the Nerf gun out, and it wouldn't work. Why? Because the batteries were dead. Inevitably, they would load up these, they would have these awesome great big Nerf guns that had serious power, and they required like 10C batteries to operate. You guys remember this? Am I the only one? These Nerf guns required insane amounts of batteries, and not just double A's, C, D batteries, the kind of batteries that you never buy for anything and you never have on hand. And so I know for me as a, as a child, if I had gotten one of these Nerf guns, it would have been... Uh, it would have worked maybe instantly if my parents had, had splurged to buy the batteries along with the toy, but I know that as soon as those batteries were dead, it was going to be of no use to me because my parents were not going to always go and spend $10 every month so that this Nerf gun would work because batteries are not cheap. Essentially, for me, a Nerf gun like that would have been a very cool toy, but would have ultimately been useless. It would have been powerless. It would be giving me an equipment that is perfectly functional and fine, but lacking the power for it to work. This is essentially what we see in the Old Covenant. The covenant that as we see in our text here today, that as the author of Hebrews has been writing to us and describing the way in which the Old Covenant has been passing away and the New Covenant is being revealed and found to be in Christ Jesus, this is largely the picture that we have painted for us of the Old Covenant. It was a covenant that was unable to save. It was a covenant of priests who were unable to remove sin. It was a covenant and a law that was unable to bring righteousness. It was essentially that Nerf gun without batteries. Today, as we have before us here in Hebrews chapter 8, what we see is the solution to the problem of the old covenant. The answer to man's needs that we could not find in the law, that we could not find in the Levitical priests. Today we'll see that God has made for us a new covenant with his people, and it is a covenant that has the power to save, as the title of my sermon indicates today. That is our subject matter today, a covenant that brings the power, a covenant unlike the covenant that the people of Israel lived under, the Mosaic covenant that had the law but had no power. We will see this by breaking the text up in three different sections. First of all, considering the first section of our passage today, we see that Christ in the new covenant intercedes in the true holy place. That is our first point today as we make our way through this text. In verses 1 and 2, we see this where the author says, Now the point and what we are saying is this. 
We have such a, such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. These two verses that the Holy Spirit begins this chapter with are a helpful summary for us of the argument of what the author has been making over the past few chapters in Hebrews. Essentially, this is his argument summed up here in the beginning of Hebrews chapter 8, where he says, now this is the point in what we are saying. What is the point? That we have such a high priest. What kind of high priest? If you remember from our previous sermons, you'll know that it's one who is able to save, one who is able to remove sins, one who is true and better and right, and not one that needs to make cleansing for his own sins, one who is perfect in every way. Jesus Christ is that high priest. This is the point that the author has been making as he sums up now in verse 1 and 2. The reality of what we have in Jesus Christ can truly not be overstated. The more you try and elaborate on the greatness of Christ and the salvation that is in him and the new covenant which he brings, the more you fall short. It is truly like the song we sing says, says that you could sooner count the stars than fathom all of God's ways. We could sooner drink the seas than fathom all his Love That the benefits that we enjoy in Christ Jesus, the goodness which he brings, is so great that we could never finish talking about it. We could never exhaust it. We see this even in Christ's continued work that Christ came down to earth. Just consider this. The fact that Christ left heaven, left the throne room of God, came down to earth, took on flesh, humbled himself in that way to live a human life, that first of all is amazing. That he would humble himself in that way, by his own will. But then we see even more when we see that not only did he come, take on flesh, but he did so in order to be a sacrifice for us. In order to die on the cross so that we might be forgiven of our sins. And all of that, the atonement that we see in Christ Jesus, the work he did on the cross and his resurrection, is amazing and mind-blowing. But his work doesn't conclude there. His work continues as he now is seated at the right hand of God and is interceding on behalf of his people. It is, as John says in John 1.16, grace upon grace for us, where he says, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. If you recall from our series in John, you'll know that what that could actually be correctly translated as is unending grace. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace to infinity and beyond. That is what is ours in Christ Jesus. We are like the guy. There was a, a news story back in the, the 1990s of a man who won the lottery. He won like hundreds of thousands of dollars on this scratch-off lottery. And after winning the lottery, it was a big news story. So the news company came out and they wanted to get some shots of him and they wanted him to reenact his winning of the lottery. And so they go to the gas station and he buys another scratch-off lottery ticket and scratches it off while they film him. And right there on camera, what would happen? But this guy won another $250,000 on camera as he was reenacting his win that the news story was there to cover. I'm not encouraging you to play the lottery, okay? That is not the point of what I am saying. But what I'm saying is that is the kind of benefit that we enjoy. That is the kind of amazing reality that is ours in Christ Jesus. That in Christ and his atoning work on the cross, his resurrection that brings us new life, we have, we have won the lottery. 
We have hit the jackpot. And yet it hasn't ended there. But again, we keep on winning. It is win upon win upon win for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. For even now, he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God and works as our advocate before the Father. It is truly grace upon grace, win upon win for those of us who are in Christ Jesus today. That he is not just a high priest like those who came previously, but one who came and has entered into the true holy place. And I think this is important for us to remind ourselves of. To remind ourselves of the reality of the fact that Jesus Christ is still at work for us today. Because this, like many things and like many other aspects of our lives, we are prone to forget this good news. We are prone to forget that Jesus is still working on our behalf. I think we're oftentimes prone to forget this because of our own feelings, because of our own emotions. It's easy for us to think, sure, my sins were atoned for, but so much has happened since then. I've screwed it up over and over again. Maybe Christ atoned for my sins, but just think about how much I've failed since then, since the moment of my salvation, since I was united to him on the cross. But what Hebrews teaches us here today is that his work did not cease when he was raised from the grave. His work continues even today, and right now he is our advocate. He is our intercessor before God the Father, the Holy One. He is still working today, interceding for us. And like in every other aspect of his priesthood, we see here another aspect of his priesthood, which is greater than all the priests who came before him. Because his priesthood is superior in its location. Where is it that the high priests in Israel served? They served in the temple. They served in the holy place in the temple or even before that when it was first instituted in the tabernacle. They served in the earthly holy place where the presence of God dwelt in the tabernacle, in the temple. This is the place where the high priest would enter into and would make sacrifices. But where does the text tell us today that our great high priest is working? It is not in a temple made by man. It is not in a tent that is set up by man, but one that has been set up by God. Jesus Christ now serves us in the heavenly realm. He serves us in the very presence of God, the very throne room of God at his right hand, the true temple, the true tabernacle. This is where Jesus now works for us. His work is so great, so transcendent that he does not simply do his work here on earth in the replica of the holy places, but in the true holy place in heaven. The fact that Jesus enters into the most holy place for us carries much more weight when we realize this, that the holy place he entered into is not found in the earthly temple or tabernacle because God no longer dwells there. God does not dwell in the tabernacle or in the temple as Stephen declares in Acts chapter 7 in this beautiful sermon that he delivers just before his death as he is stoned. He says to the Jews that are there, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. But he dwells in the heavenly places and this is the place in which Christ enters into his very presence to do the work of intercession for us. Christ's intercessory work is effective because he is actually in the true dwelling place of the Most High. 
unlike all other priests who simply served in places and roles that were copies and shadows, the reality of which Christ is the substance. Which brings us to the second point of our text here today. Christ's mediation is the substance, not the shadow. We see this in verses 4 through 6 as we read, Now if he were here on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They, that is the priests who offered gifts according to the law, serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has attained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old. Christ's mediation, his work as high priest, is better than the old because the old was what? It was a copy. It was a shadow. It was fashioned after a pattern of which Christ has revealed the substance. The point being made here is not that the former priests were bad or that they were wicked or that the priesthood was a terrible establishment. We've said it a couple times already as we have looked throughout Hebrews as Christ is superior to Moses, as he has been depicted as superior to the angels, as superior to the old priesthood. We see here that the point is not that those things are bad or evil. No, they were instituted by God. And they are good. The point is not to run down these former things and people, but rather to magnify Christ and to demonstrate his superiority. We see here that Christ's superiority means that he is the substance of which these things are the shadows. All of the mediation, all of the mediatory work, the intercessory work where the priests would go into the temple to make sacrifices all of that was simply to serve to point us to the substance. All of that was a copy. It was a shadow. It was a replica. It had value, but not value to save. Only the substance of which that thing points has the power to save, and that is found in Christ. This is the equivalent of comparing a sports video game to playing the actual sport. You see, you can go and play basketball on a video game on a PlayStation or an Xbox, and you can have a great time playing it. And you can actually even learn the game through playing this game, playing this video game. But all that this video game is is a copy, a shadow, a replica of the real thing, which is frankly much more fun. And you can learn the game of basketball through this game, but you can never truly experience what it's like to play basketball without going outside and picking up a ball and playing the game. We can also see this demonstrated through the comparison of a picture or a painting of a natural scenery. Say, say the Grand Canyon. There have been many paintings that have been done, I'm sure, of the Grand Canyon. And many of them are very beautiful and great to look at and well done in a demonstration of great artistry. And you can learn a thing or two about the Grand Canyon through pictures and paintings of the Grand Canyon. And you can even be uh, impacted by its beauty and appreciate the beauty and majesty of the Grand Canyon. But as anyone will tell you, to go and stand next to the Grand Canyon is to see how far short those pictures and images and copies fall. 
they pale in comparison to standing next to the Grand Canyon and taking in the majesty of this beautiful, amazing, God-created thing. This is what it is to compare the Old Covenant to the New, the shadows and copies to the substance. The former priests served the purpose for which they were intended, but they were always intended to serve for us as a picture of what the true mediator would be and what he would do. As the text says, they serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things, things of which Jesus Christ is the substance. We see in the second half of verse 6, the Holy Spirit elaborates on why it is that Christ's priestly ministry is more excellent than theirs, as he says, as the covenant that he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. It was enacted on better promises, the Holy Spirit says. He is the mediator of a covenant that is better than the covenant which the former priest mediated. Because the promises of the covenant which he mediates are better promises. As the Holy Spirit explains this in more detail in the final, final sections of this chapter where we see that the new covenant is better than the old covenant. Point number three of our text today here is that the new covenant is a better covenant. If you haven't figured that out by now through our study of Hebrews, I don't know what you've been listening to, what you've been reading. But if by now there's anything that you should have figured out, it is that the new covenant, which is found in Christ Jesus, which he mediates, is better than the old. In verse 7, the Holy Spirit makes this clear to us, that there was a need or an occasion for a second covenant. Why? Because the first covenant had a fault. He says in verse 7, for if that first covenant, that being the Mosaic covenant, the law, had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. So then we need to ask the question, what is the fault in the Old Covenant? What is the flaw? What is the problem? Why is it that the Old Covenant could not save? And to answer this question, I think we need to turn to the place in Scripture where the Old Covenant is introduced. In Exodus chapter 19, if you would turn with me there in your Bibles... If not, you can follow along. That's fine, too. In Exodus chapter 19, we see the Old Covenant as introduced. And as we read here of the Mosaic Covenant, as, it is, as it is introduced, hopefully we will begin to see and figure out where the fault is. I want you, as we read it, we're going to start in the middle of verse 3. And as we read this introduction to the Old Covenant, see if you can spot with me where the fault is, where the flaw lies in this old covenant. Exodus chapter 19, starting in the middle of verse 3. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, that being the Lord calling to Moses, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore... If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandment, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. 
So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported, reported the words of the people to the Lord. Did you see the problem? Do you see the issue with the Old Covenant, where the fault lies? The problem with the Old Covenant is that the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant, is conditioned upon human obedience. And because of that, the Old Covenant can never save. The problem is that this covenant was conditioned on human obedience. The problem, the fault, is not found in the law that God gave, for the law was indeed good. Even Paul says, if it, not, had it not been for the law, I would not know what sin is. The law is good, and nowhere in Scripture will you find that the law is evil or that the law is bad. The law is good. So where does the fault lie then? The fault in the Old Covenant was not found on God's part at all, but was entirely on the part of man who is unable to live up to our end of the agreement. God made a covenant with a covenant-breaking people. That is the problem. He made a covenant with a covenant-breaking people. As we've seen from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve, from the beginning, broke God's commandments this is the flaw this is the fault and why the old covenant is powerless to save we see this in verse 5 with the word if this is a very unfortunate word in this covenant it is a word that zaps this covenant of all hope of salvation in verse 5 he says now therefore if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. That word, if there, is the most unfortunate word in the covenant and one that zaps it of any hope of salvation. With human beings, it is not a question of if we will fall, if we will fail to obey the covenant. It is simply a matter of when. And how long was it for the Israelites? Moses hadn't even finished receiving all of the law and they had already broken the very first two commandments that the Lord gave them. It took no time at all. The fault in this covenant was ultimately not that the law was given. It was that the law was given, but the ability to keep it was not. Therefore, as verse 7 in our passage in Hebrews tells us, there was occasion to look for a second the old covenant was powerless to save, but it was not because the law was bad, and it is not that God ever intended the old covenant to be salvific. It is not that God made a plan through this covenant, and then man came and wrecked it, and God said, ah, now what am I going to do? I've got to make a new covenant. That was never the intention that God had. God knew from the beginning that this covenant was not one that they would keep, and so God said, I will make a new covenant, a better covenant. And I will send one who will not only be the means by which this new covenant will be fulfilled, but he will be fulfillment of the old covenant as well. And he did that in Jesus Christ. Not to spoil the ending for you. That new and better covenant has come. 
when it is described in our passage as the Holy Spirit quotes Jeremiah 31 in the last portion of our passage here. As Jeremiah the prophet predicted that this better covenant was to come. He says this in verses 8 and 9. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. Here we see Jeremiah the prophet bringing the word of God, saying, I am bringing a new covenant, one different from the covenant that I made through Moses. A new and better covenant is coming, and we see here in Hebrews that that new and better covenant has come. Here again we see that the fault was necessitated and is also remedied in the new covenant when he says they did not continue in my covenant. So what does God do? What does he do in the new covenant to remedy this fault that existed in the old covenant? He removes the human equation from the picture. The new covenant that we have in Christ is not one conditioned on human obedience, but one that is found and conditional only in Christ. In the goodness of God and his grace and love toward us. This is what God has done. And we see this in verses 10 and 11. Where he continues quoting from Jeremiah. Speaking of the new covenant that is predicted and has now come. He says, for this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds. And write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach one his neighbor, and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me, from the least to the greatest. The prophet Ezekiel also says it this way, I will replace their heart of stone with a heart of flesh. This is God saying, I will do this, I will do this. Despite the fact that they are unfaithful, despite the fact that they disobey, despite the fact that they fail, this is a covenant that I will make with them and I will uphold in and of myself. The promises of the new covenant are better promises because they are not contingent on human obedience. This is the good news that we have in Christ Jesus in the new covenant. Notice that this is entirely a work of God and entirely dependent upon him. But then in verse 12, we really see the differing results in the new covenant that are far greater than the results of the old. In verse 12, what do we see? For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. This right here is the declaration that we as human beings so desperately need. And what the Israelites so desperately longed for and yet could not be found in the law, could not be found in the former priesthood. As we have already said, the former priesthood was unable to remove sins. It was unable to, by the sacrificing of goats and bulls and animals, sins were never removed. A new covenant was needed. A new sacrifice was needed. And the question is then, how is it that Christ is able to do this? How is it that he can be merciful towards our iniquities and remember our sins no more? 
Well, the question might be asked, how is it that he can do that and still be just? And the answer is found in verses 3 of our chapter today and verse 27 of our chapter from last week, chapter 7. What does verse 3 say? We skipped over it earlier. We're going to go back to it now. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 3 says, For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifice. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. It was necessary that Christ, to serve as a high priest, have something to offer. And what was that thing which Christ had to offer? Chapter 7 of Hebrews, verse 27 says, He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily for his own sins first, and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. This is the sacrifice that the new and better priest brings. It is the sacrifice of himself, the perfect sacrifice, the holy sacrifice, the true spotless lamb of God. As John the Baptist says, the one who has come to take away the sins of the world. This is how, as Paul says in Romans, God can be both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Our sins can be removed. Our sins can be forgiven. He can be merciful and no longer remember our sins and credit them to us because they have been counted to Christ Jesus on the cross. And in his sacrifice, they have been removed. And he remembers them no more. This sheds light on the statement that Jesus makes when he instituted the Lord's Supper in the upper room when he says, this cup is the new covenant. Where? In my blood. The new covenant is instituted and rooted in the blood of Christ. The old hymn was right when it said that there is power in the blood. Unlike the covenant which brought the law but had no power to keep it, this covenant is one that brings the power of salvation, and the power of salvation is found in the blood of Jesus Christ, the great high priest who offered up himself to remove our sins, to remove our iniquities. As far as the east is from the west, he has removed our transgressions, the psalmist says. If the old covenant was the Nerf gun that didn't work because we didn't have the batteries for it, Jesus Christ is the Nerf gun that has infinite power, infinite ability to work. The message that the Lord has for his church today, one that we hear so often and yet one we constantly need to hear, is that we see from our text today that we have hope today because of Christ Jesus and the better covenant that he brings. And hope is found only in Christ Jesus. For apart from Christ Jesus, what are you left with? Whether you like it or not, you are left with the law. And it is according to the law, the old covenant, that you will be judged. And you, like the nation of Israel, are unable to keep the law of God. You are unable to be saved under the old covenant, for the old covenant had one specific fault, and that is human beings. We are the fault in the old covenant. But in Jesus Christ, who brings the new and better covenant, we have hope. Because the new covenant is rooted in Jesus Christ's finished work, in his blood on the cross. And it is by him that we have hope. 
and it is in him that we trust. Not just for the moment of salvation, but day after day after day as he intercedes for us in the very presence of God and will one day bring us into his presence on that great day. It is that to which we look forward and rejoice for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray.